I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. I'm so excited to have Dr. Yvonne Atwar joining me today. She's a personal and executive coach for physicians and other mission-driven professionals. Um, I know her personally and professionally, and she's just filled with all the good things and has so much knowledge and and wisdom, and I'm so excited for this conversation. Yvonne, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me, Jill. This is exciting. (laughs) It is exciting. Um, so I guess if you wouldn't mind starting, if, just talk a little bit about your, your background, um, uh, where you're from, where your family's from, where, how you got to where you are right now in, in a, as much of a nutshell as you would like to make it. Much of a nutshell as I can. Um, so I'm thir- what we call a third culture, third culture adult, which means that when you were born in one place and grew up in another, but your family is also from somewhere else and then you're living somewhere else. So I was born in the UK, my family is Nigerian um, and here I am in the US. So I, I spent a good bit of my formative years um, uh, in Nigeria and the US um, and came to the United States in my teens. Um, and then, um, but, I've always felt kind of like in between different cultures because even during my time in Nigeria, we moved around a lot. I was in, I was in this um, gifted kids program that was a national program where they would take all the kids from all over the country, and um, and so I got shipped away to the to this school in the middle of nowhere with other kids from around the country, and um, and so my my path has always been very kind of. Um, it's always been around people of different cultures. So in terms of where I'm from, that's always a, a, diff- a difficult question to answer because while I can say I was born in the UK and raised in Nigeria and the United States, I feel like I, in a lot of ways, just third culture kind of not really fitting in one, but also fitting in all, all of the places, if that makes any sense. But yeah, so I came to the United States in my teens and went to high school here and college and, and med school and public health school and all of that. Um, but yeah, the, I think that's it. That's what you have your public health. I didn't know you were a public health um, person as well. Yeah, I have a master's in public health. Wow, <laughs> I have all the degrees. This, is, this is like, I have all the degrees. That's what immigrants do. <laughs> we get all the degrees. <laughs> you know what, let's, let's talk about that. I think that's, I mean, you're, you're, it, it, it's, it's, you're making light of it a little bit, but I think that that's something that a theme that's come up in a lot of these interviews is like, A, like having to work twice as hard to get the same recognition, but still not getting the recognition. And also kind of that immigrant immigrant family mentality of having to work extra hard. So what was that? You could talk a little bit about that and maybe what the experience was like for your family as an immigrant family and a black family, that intersectionality there. Yeah. So it's funny because like the identity um, was never like black. Um, it was, it, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm, I'm not sure how many people you've interviewed from other countries, but like being raised partly in Nigeria, right? And just the identity is more of like, what tribe are you from? Mm. It's more of, 
Um, you know, are you from the, my family was from the South. So, and, and it was Christian. So you have the Southerners who are Christian and then you have the Northerners who are Muslim. And so there's more of that dynamic between like Christian Muslim, South versus North versus West. Are you, you know, are you from this tribe or that tribe? And, and so that more of that tribalism and the conflict, even though everybody, everybody looks black. So you never really, we're never really aware of the color of your skin. And I mean, you, I mean, you, I knew I looked like chocolate, but there was never anything that registered because you're around everybody who looks the same. Yeah. So it's more, it was, humans have a way of dividing themselves. So it was more of, you know, are you from this tribe? And then how much you suck because you're from the other tribe and how much more superior I am than you because you're from that tribe, <laughs> you know? So coming up, that was more of the thing. And then moving to the U.S. and then realizing, oh, I'm black. What does that mean? Right. And then, um, and, and, you know, being coming from, you know, Nigeria and you know, over there, there's already like that exceptionalism anyway, where it's like, you know, you, I don't know if you've met any Nigerians, but they're known, <laughs> known for just overdoing it, just, just crushing it in any kind of way. If you look at any Ivy League school, there's a Nigerian overdoing it, right? And so we always say they're Nigerians on the moon, you know, overdoing it there too. Like any planet you go to, any place you go to, there's a Nigerian overachieving. So anyway, um, so that's what I kind of came up with. And being in that gifted children's program already programmed me. I mean, I, there was already that standard of, like, it's not just excellence, you're gifted. So you really have to, there's already like a higher bar for you than, than, than most other people. So I came out of that, right? So I was already, I was already really good at school and, but had this confidence in my abilities and all that. Then you come to the U.S. where it's like, oh, you're black and therefore you're not good enough. And I'm going, you know, you're raised to believe that, you know, you're, you know, you're the best, you, you work hard and you get all the grades. Like there was that expectation of excellence. But here in the U.S., there's that, because of the color of your skin, there's that expectation of incompetence or mediocrity or inferiority, which was just kind of like, what is happening? <laughs> it was very disorienting. Um, and uh, so coming to the States, I'll say like, then, then you have this pressure of the immigrant, right? Because most immigrants come here already like assured of their excellence, their brilliance, their competence. They're usually like at the top of the top in their countries before they come here anyway, right? So you already have that bias already in terms of like the brain drain where it's usually like the doctors and the lawyers and the, right, the, the, the people who have access to unfortunately, yeah, who do have access, better access than most people would back in the developing, you know, wherever you're from, the developing world, usually. Um, and so coming here and then having that expectation of inferiority, then you feel like, okay, well, you know, most times African Americans are like, you have to be twice as good. No, the immigrants are not thinking you have to be twice as good. <laughs> They're thinking you have to be better than everybody else, because not only are you you know, different. You're also an immigrant. You're also don't belong already. You're already the outsider and usually have an accent, which then makes you stand out in every kind of way. So then you really have to prove that you're not whatever stereotype people are looking at you with. So then there's that, there's that um, the pressure with a lot of immigrants, especially the younger generation that comes in, right, is, you know, 
you can't shame the family name. You have to, you have to, you know, crush it, whatever you're going to do. And usually there are only about five options. <laughs> and usually like, it's either going to be medicine, law, architecture, you know, accounting or engineering, like the professions, the respectable professions. You're not coming to the U.S. that we've worked so hard for, for you to come and we've sacrificed so much for, for you to come here and then be what, a musician? What's that? Don't <laughs> waste our time, right? So, joy? so no, no joy. joy, what's joy? <laughs> it's about survival and making it and achieving the American dream and crushing it. So this idea of, you know, the, I, um, the immigrants usually will come here and just try to, 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 to crush it. I mean, be exceptional. And you're also looking at the stereotype, right? And so having to defy that stereotype as well and go way beyond um, that stereotype. And then of course you have the African-American versus the black immigrant dichotomy as well. Right. So the black immigrant is coming into the U.S. and then, you know, people are treating that person like, you know, that like we expect you to be inferior and all of that. Right. So then you're pushing back against the stereotype, which inadvertently means, though, that you end up pushing, unfortunately, against in a lot of ways, like African-Americans, where it's like, you know, we're not them. <laughs> we're not them. We're different. And so. I've had to have have I've had to have a lot of conversations around that um, that pushback. Like, you know, what do you mean we're not like? If the police officer stops us today, they don't know you're a black immigrant. <laughs> we're all the same to them. So, what's this thing you're doing? Where it's like, I'm not them. You are. We're all. We all are. And um, and I've had to do that work in myself, and I've had to do that that have that I've had to have that conversation with older family members um but yeah it's a different experience when you come in as an immigrant but in the end you will still face a lot of the hurt I mean you will still face a lot of the hurdles that African Americans face but the denial is there and <laughs> that that inner assumption of oh I'm, I'm different I'm different and so it should be different for me yeah I know it's controversial, but it it it, it is happening, and it's what happens yeah. when um, when people migrate to the U.S. I've heard that also, and I, I guess I won't ask you to speak to this because it's not your experience. But from from uh, black people in, in the states who are from like uh, Caribbean descent versus African American, like or or that's a, like a another way that white supremacy culture has gotten its hooks in us is like but at least I'm not like that person. At least I'm not like that person. And I, I see it in the Jewish community too, in its own like little way um, about the different types of Judaism there are. Uh, so <laughs> it's gotten That's all interesting. Us. Yeah. And I think it, it's, it, I guess we don't want to like maybe show any like weakness to the outside, like be like, no, yes. no, 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 we're all, it's all, but, but that's, I think to me, going doing this work as a as a person who passes as white um is is recognizing that even black people have to contend with with internalized racism and that for yeah. me like made it feel made me understand that it's not a personal thing it's a it's a system-wide thing so i think it's actually very for, for people who don't experience that directly or aren't aware of that i think it's actually very um 
helpful and, and, and um, yeah. It's funny because uh, recently I was watching, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember the name of the, it was a, a several part um, documentary series on Netflix um, about the colonial history of Nigeria. And I just saw it like uh, two months ago. Um, and it just floored me because coming up in Nigeria, I don't know if I can find it. Um, Journey of an African Colony. Journey of an African Colony. Oh my God. So growing up, the times that I did spend in Nigeria, like, so one thing you have to re realize is that coming up, at least the way I grew up, like, and again, also maybe because I was also born in the UK, right? The idea of the queen and the, 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 I just remember being so proud of the queen and, and being proud to be a subject of the queen. I had a, you know, I still have a UK passport, right? And this, this idea of, of being a colony was at least growing up, like that's all we learned about. We learned about, you know, England and, and, um, and abolition and all of that, but we never really learned about slavery. We never learned about um, slavery. I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about African-American history. Um, didn't even know much about the colonial, like the, the cost of colonialism. All we saw, even the movies we watched, you know, like they're all white, you know, like they're all. Um, so we grew up thinking that white was like aspirational, <laughs> like it was like the thing and the, that, that they were superior. And um, the, I never really saw any pushback to that idea growing up. It was just assumed like everything we consumed, um, movies, music. Um, I'm glad I have such a diverse, eclectic taste in music. Um, but there, I mean, other than the, you know, the, the local, the national Nigerian music and arts and culture and all of that, apart from that, we got a lot of like English, like a lot of just that British um, in everything, like just, you know, in every part of life. So you grow up w aspiring to be... English in some ways. Yes, you're still proud of your culture, but in terms of the the high mark, the 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 marks of a well-lived life was definitely all like you know out of that colonial superiority. Um, and it was only like two months ago, I, I watching this thing, this documentary that hit me between the eyes and realizing, oh my gosh, like parts of where my, my, my family is right from the, the Niger Delta, which is where the, the two rivers, the Niger and the Benue come together and then they split into deltas and then flow back into the Atlantic Ocean. And my family is right at the bottom where it, you know, it splits into those islands, um, creates the delta and the delta, you know, you have all these islands and my family's, family's from the oil producing south. And I didn't even know that slave trade happened there. So like there was slave trade happening all of, and we know nothing about that history. Come to find out that, you know, a lot of people from a certain part of Nigeria were shipped to, to Jamaica. I didn't know that, but this move, I, I didn't finish watching it, but it just, I was just sitting there at 2 a.m. <laughs> just in shock. So we're not taught this stuff. We're not, I mean, so most people come to the U.S. like not having a clue 
I mean, maybe now they have more of an aware, um, awareness because of the internet, but growing up, I didn't know anything. So coming, coming to the U S and then like, you know, for, for the first several years, at least a good, like 10 years, I've been in the States for 26, 27 years, the first 10 years for sure. I can say that I just had no clue. And, um, and I've had to unlearn a lot of the internalized, internalized, not even racism, just colonialism. Um, uh, and um, it's, been, it's been devastating. <laughs> it's been devastating. And I think uh, 2020 has been really powerful in the sense that it really showed me all the ways in which I still had a little bit of that going on inside, ways in which... I uphold the, you know, white supremacy by deferring, you know, kind of allow, you know, not really owning my power because, right, you always want to defer. <laughs> you always want to, you know, center around the other whites constantly centering and then learning how to just stand, stand my sacred ground and, and really own that power. It's taken a long time to do that. And what happens when you do that is that you then allow other people to be powerful, right? You're, when you stand your sacred ground, you know, and have those boundaries, your whole world shifts. So, um, yeah, it's been a very, in this whole, you know, 2020 was huge for me in terms of racism because it just really kind of ripped everything apart for me. I mean, I've been on this journey anyway, learning and, and growing, um, knowing that, yes, I've always been aware of ra the racism. I mean, being in med school and, you know, again, I'm used to being smart. I've been like that my whole life. But even in med school, like, you know, you would answer a question or someone would ask a question and then the person would look, you know, <laughs> if it's a white person, the right person will look to the other white person, like, and ask them the same question and won't really take your answer until that other person, you know, gives the same kind of answer. That's like common. You can ask a lot of <laughs> physicians of color and they'll tell you similar experiences. I mean, I've had all of those experiences, but I would always kind of just brush them aside. But I think something about 2020 just made me, just broke me in a way that was like, no more. I will not, I will no longer uphold this structure in any form. <laughs> I, 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 I will resist. So, um, yeah. I think I'm, I feel like I'm rambling now, but you're not, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, this is a very, um, interesting, interesting journey and it's a little different, but, um, yeah. So what are, what are, can, can you give more specifics on, on, on ways that you're no longer upholding the structure? You mentioned not deferring. So like not deferring to who, I guess. And then also, are there other specifics on, on ways that you've changed internally or externally? Cause this is so beautiful and, and if you're comfortable sharing that yeah so you know as, as i said earlier coming from a post-colonial country you just there's the assumption that white is superior you're not told that but just everything you've seen um everything from from the movies the you know even though you have a very rich culture there's this aspirational part of what and, and again church we're christian so like as a person of faith, right? My, the, 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 when I look at pictures of Jesus, I see a white guy. I don't even see a Jewish guy, <laughs> see, right? So everything from my faith to, you know, music to 
movies to everything that I've seen that is superior in any kind of way or aspirational in any kind of way has been white. Right. And, um, and what happens is you don't realize ways in which you internalize that. Um, so for me, what that looked like was like, I never wanted to be white. I'm, I've always been very secure in my identity, but what that looked like was, I think maybe also because of the angry black thing, that angry black woman stereotype and other ways in which um, people of color, especially black people are made to feel like they're too much. And then again, being of Nigerian descent, <laughs> right? Where we're already like super intense and super like, we're known to be like, you know, super assertive and, and uh, you know, like just super energetic, right? There's a lot of that passion and fire which can be intimidating for um, Americans, especially white Americans and African-Americans get it because, you know, they have that fire as well, right? Um, but so you're always, especially as an immigrant, always having to defer and, and tone down and center on the others so that, so that you're acceptable. Yeah. Right? You want to be ex acceptable. You want to assimilate. You want to, right? Because, again, coming up, you're, you've always expected to be, you know, the best because you've never, no one's ever called you inferior. So you're used to being at a, a certain level and a, a certain standard. And the only way you can kind of do that here in the U.S. is by going with the flow, right? Going, still being excellent yes but not being all the way powerful right because then it scares people <laughs> it scares people so then you're constantly having to tone down yourself while also going for those goals right and so um what ends up happening is that right you start to at least what i was doing what i started doing was right dimming without realizing it wasn't a conscious thing it was just something i found myself doing because when you, again when you show up full blast as authentic as you really are then people get scared and you're the aggressive i say aggressive foreign woman or you know angry black woman or whatever you're just being passionate you're just a passionate person but it's seen as this negative thing right and so you start to tone down and you start to defer you start to defer and I didn't even realize I was doing this, but I, I, still, I, remember, I remember in med school how um, they, were, um, they were nominating people for different positions in the class leadership. And I'm like a people person, right? And there was this position that was going to be the person who was a liaison between other med schools and our school, right? Whenever we have any kind of like away conferences. Mm -hmm. And I like remember like intentionally deferring to a, a, um, a white guy in the school for him to do that instead, even though I knew that I would be better at it than him because he wasn't social. He wasn't like a people, like he wasn't like, he was actually <laughs> very introverted um, and I didn't run for that position. I let him go for it instead. Like it was a conscious decision. So ways like different ways like that, where I would kind of defer 
and let somebody else go for that thing because they're more acceptable. Um, but this year I noticed that, um, yeah, so other things like that where I would just defer or no, okay, she wants it, let her have it. I don't want to be the angry black woman who's like domineering and, and going for all the things and, you know, that will, that will backlash at me. Um, but this year I remember feeling like I was done in the sense that there was something about this year and, and all the, um, the protests and everything. I just felt like, I just felt like I was part of the problem. I just felt like by, by giving away my power, I was adding to the issue. I was adding to the problem that I needed to stand my own sacred ground and start to like speak up for myself. And I'm already like an outspoken person, but I knew in a lot of ways I was dimming myself. Um, and I knew that I had to uh, just, for me, it was the centering constantly centering around the, the, the white, the whites, especially the white males in my life. And I have a lot of white males in my life. And, um, but to start to express my own needs, right. Instead of constantly taking care of their need, their needs, because I love them starting to focus on me. Like I have needs too. Like, it's not always about you and your needs. Like I have needs too. And I want to, and if we're going to have a relationship it's a two-way street, right? As opposed to me existing for your, <laughs> for your, you know, and, and, and they don't realize they're doing it, right? It's me. I'm, I'm the one who is upholding that system. So for me, I checked out of that system. I said, I will no longer just center myself around them. Any, in any of my relationships, it will be a two-way street. It will be us in relationship with each other as equals, not me serving your needs. It, just because I love you does not mean that I don't have needs. Actually, you love me. So <laughs> feel free to, you know, right? Uh, show that love as well instead of me. So I just knew, I just saw ways in which I was doing this one way thing. And I think it's because we've always existed to center on this white supremacy, right? We're here to serve the needs of this, this system. And I was like, I, I, no longer, I no longer want to do that. So in different ways, I started to step back and, and set boundaries and really check myself. It was nobody else's fault. And I'm not saying, I mean, there is a problem with the system, but for me, the work this year was looking at all the ways in which I upheld that system. And it was a very hard thing to do. That's so powerful. And I think as, as a person who has most likely been deferred to in my life for some reason, because of my skin color, it's also very easy to not notice it. Therefore allowing it to continue because it's easy and it feels good. And it's like, what you what you may be used to, what I may be used to. So, um, I'm, I'm trying to speak from the eye rather than you, because I don't mean you, I mean one, but it's yes, one. Yes. When we're talking about race, it's going to be, uh, we want to be, uh, I want to be very clear. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting that you say, I mean, by the I, way, talking yeah. about race is super awkward for me. <laughs> like, I know we talked about it earlier, but you know, it's, it's not something that I gravitate to. It's something I go into knowing that it needs to happen, but 
I am kicking and screaming all the way. <laughs> I just got like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I, and I say that so that if anyone out there is like, you know, finds, you know, finds this kind, these kinds of conversations awkward, they are awkward, but like they're necessary. And, and, um, and, and for me, that was also a part, a way in which I was upholding the system by not talking about my experiences. Um, things were happening. And I just was not talking about them, so yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I wanted no, to. No, it was it real quick. It's such a great, uh, a, a, such a good point, and and um, you know this, but I, I do most of my anti-racism work outside of this podcast with uh, Dr. Maisha Claiborne, and one of the things that people really connect to that she shares, she's a black woman, and she says, "This is not comfortable for me either. Please know that. Like, it's not like." Black people love talking about racism naturally. And, and, and the way she describes it is, is because for her, it's, it's personal, you know, like it's an, it's an everyday intimate personal experience. And so to be then talking about that out loud in front of people, that's like legit having to be really, really vulnerable. And um, yes. that's not comfortable. It's, it's not just like some textbook phenomenon. It's not an academic exercise. It's, it's personal. Yeah. How does that resonate with you? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And because unfortunately for the, you know, the person of color or the black person who is talking about these, there could be consequences, real consequences, yeah. right? With that, um, you know, I do a lot of, you know, work with, you know, I'm certified in Brene Brown's work, you know, we talk a lot um, about vulnerability in personal and professional, right? Whether it's dare to lead or daring way and, and all of that. And one of the things that I constantly have to come to is, is the idea of, right, having to have a safe place to be that vulnerable. Because there, you know, for some people, that vulnerability can be a privilege, can be a luxury, mm -hmm. right? And so, so if I, the only one true conversation I had um, about race this year, other than this one that we're having now, <laughs> this is my second conversation, wow. second real, it's a real, real conversation, um, around race, but the first one that I, the only one that I did before now, um, was a, a complete disaster, um, because somebody asked me, how could they help, um, and they were talking about, you know, the George Floyd and all of that situation, and I said, well, you can use your platform, um, <laughs> and, um, and I said, here are all the ways you can use your platform, here are all the ways you can talk, and this person felt judged, and shamed by me for saying you could use your voice. And then when they expressed, and this was like in a, a group uh, email situation. And when the person said they felt shamed by me, and this is an email of like everybody else was white and, you know, and, and um, um, I just, just went off. And I just started talking about all of my experiences because because I think I realized in that moment that I had not been sharing my experiences so they just thought oh you know you know how people say oh but not you right you're you're good like you're like yeah. you're, you're not you're not experiencing that like you're good you're you don't have a chip on your shoulder you yeah. know <laughs> because of how I present I'm very you know I'm, I'm generally a people person and easygoing and, and, and vibrant and joyful but underneath that people think that nothing's happening to me right and so and then I don't share the stories because usually I'm like 
you know, happy and just talking about something else or just being excited about something. Um, and just not generally someone who dwells on certain things, um, especially race for some reason, just the way I was, I guess, raised. But um, then people assume that you're not going through stuff. So when I like started sharing and I was vulnerable, like that cost me, right? Because then people were like, whoa. And so there's the risk that, you know, if a person of color is sharing like that, you could totally, <laughs> people would then realize, oh, you actually go through stuff. You must hate us. <laughs> you must hate all white people, right? Yeah. Yeah. You must hate, you must hate all white people. Like I would have people go like, oh, you know, I don't want to hire you as a coach because like I'm a white woman and, 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 you know, and you know, there's that, you know, some people are feeling like, cause I'm black and they're white that, that they feel uncomfortable with like being coached by me because they think, I, I'm mad at white people if I, you know, right. So like, there's a real risk, like professional risk to when a person of color is vulnerable. So how do you create containers in which, right, someone can share that vulnerable, that, that vulnerably without consequences, like without like a, a pushback or a fallout, especially when it hits your, your bottom line, right? So these are real concerns. And so it's very risky right for for people to share the way they do they want to but then again in in some ways then that upholds the the system you see it's kind of like this vicious yeah. you know circle, right where it's like you want to share because you want to stop upholding the system but then when you share there are consequences which affect you professionally right which then takes you out right and then so you're in a worse situation so it's a catch 22 so for those who, you know, want people of color, especially black people to share, then you have to be able to make sure that they have a safe container to share vulnerably. So what, what, what measures are you taking to make sure that people are safe to share? Because if you're saying, oh yeah, I want to know, I want to know, I want to be an ally, and then people are sharing, do you come back and blast them with your fragility? <laughs> right because then that makes that person feel i felt completely unsafe i felt like oh my gosh i've now been shamed in front of everybody because now i'm the angry black woman who is now attacking a, you know a fragile white woman and of course i'm the ogre because she's the she's a damsel in distress and i'm just the you know buffoon <laughs> hero right who doesn't need any protection or love or 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 care right um i'm now the aggressor so these things have to be considered when we're having these conversations, making sure that there's that container, that there's not, people are not punished for sharing truthfully. You know, when somebody opens up and shares, it means they trust you. So making sure that you don't abuse that, that trust, right, when they share. Oh, man, that, that is, it's just so horrible to not in a like white tears kind of way. Cause I've, I'm sure I've been that woman before, but it's just like hearing you share that experience. There's, there's also this inherent laziness and in being like, tell me what to do. And then you use your emotion. I don't know what you need to do. <laughs> but then you, get, you know, then you're like, try to be nice. And you're like, try these things. And then they're just right, like, right. just <laughs> yep. knocking you down. Yeah, and, and, and you know, what was funny because I said, 
I, uh, I, I prefaced it by like, I don't really know what you need to do or what you should do, but here, and I'm really tired. And I did like put that disclaimer, like I'm really tired and exhausted. And I don't, you know, I don't know what you need to do, but here are some things that you could do. <laughs> right. And I prefaced all of that with that. And I still got the blowback. So it was kind of like, ah, uh, but unfortunately, because I'd already made that decision. Well, not unfortunately, but fortunately, I think something about that exchange made and, and just what was happening in the world made me, I was already at that point where I'm like, I'm not all upholding this, this system anymore. If it means that I lose all of these relationships, so be it. I kind of felt, honestly, I kind of felt like, you know, Angela Bassett walking away from the exploding, you know, the burning car, like, you know, F this. I was at that point um, this year where I was like, you know what, if I express my truth and you you break down about it, I'm willing to let that relationship go. Like I'm, I'm not no longer willing to uphold any of the relationships in which I am not an equal partner. Um, I don't exist to, uh, I'm not anybody's like maid. <laughs> I am a fully realized woman. I am worthy of the love and belonging um, that I want and, and my dreams. And if you're, if that means that I have to sublimate myself to you, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So it was a very conscious, but again, I didn't realize all the ways in which, in which I was doing that. That was the that was the sad part of it all, right? It took 2020 to say, to show me that I was part of the issue. I feel like in a lot of ways, 2020 is like the, you know, really like 2020 vision. Like it just, mm -hmm. everything that's been in the way that's been clouding a vision has just been like stripped away. And we're all now seeing clearly who we are, what systems we're part of. I think we've always known about the systems, but now we're seeing like who we are and what's around us. And then there's the, you know, there's the, the reckoning and the decision, like, okay, who do I want to be? Like, I'm seeing who I am now. Who do I want to be in this situation? And how do I want to be moving forward? Have you, that whole 2020 thing, seeing clearly, I somehow have not made that connection. It's like not- I need to write about it. <laughs> I need to write about that. <laughs> have you heard that elsewhere? That's good. That's no. good. That's my, that was my, that was my lesson of 2020. It's about 2020 vision. You got to like, trademark that right now. I mean, that just like exploded my heart open. That was so incredible. What am I trademarking now? What do you want me to write? 2020 <laughs> being our, you know, the time that we see who we are clearly and, and, and who we yes. want to be. I mean, that's, and not just for white people waking up, but like All everybody's waking up and, and in different ways. And, and, um, yeah, seeing. Please write seeing that ASAP. Yeah. Nobody seeing, else go write it. I'm going to write it. I'm kidding. Nobody else write it. Because <laughs> I just, I, my moment was like, how have I not seen that connection of 2020? And, you know, and, and, and I wear glasses. That's why. And I play sex. So that must be why. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And I, I, you know, and thank you so much for, for sharing how it's affected you. I mean, this, you're, you're sharing some very personal, vulnerable, vulnerable things. And, um, Gosh, this whole, even the word safe space is about white safety. It's not a, yes. you know, it's, it's not about, exactly. I as a white person feel safe. Um, do, you, do you ever use the term brave space or have you moved into that language, languaging? Brave space? Brave space instead of space, safe space. No, I, I feel like I still need a safe space. I think it's, I, I, uh, sorry, finish, finish what you're saying. 
I feel like I, I, I feel like I still need a, well, I feel like I'm always brave. Right. And I think going into a brave space for me, creating a brave space then is making me have to do the thing, which I like where I'm expected to do, which is the, you know, the strong black, black woman thing. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. So it, for me, hearing, hearing the term, which I'm just hearing from you, I'm not sure if that's what it means, but I'm always courageous. I'm always the brave, you know, yeah. the, right. But the idea of safe space for me implies that I'm also fragile. I'm also needing protection. I'm also delicate sometimes. I think there's a, there's a dehumanization that happens with, with people who look like me, women, right? Who look like me, where it's like, oh, you're tough and you're strong and you're brave and, you know, you're magic and all of that stuff. Yeah. So for me, when I hear that term brave space, it just makes me think, okay, there's a space where I get to be, I have to be brave again. Yeah. I, I really like the idea of safe space because it reminds you of the fact that just like you're saying with for white safe space for white women, we also need safe spaces because we do, we are flowers as well and, and fragile and, and, and needing protection. We yeah. do need, protection. we're not yeah. always there out there like Amazons, you know, Amazons like fighting and, and, and doing what we do just because we have stamina, just because we have stamina and we're, 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 we're strong and all of that doesn't mean that we're not human. Yeah. I love that perspective. I, I, the, the, I've heard the term, I'm forgetting, it's Mickey, somebody, she's got like a three, like a middle name and a last name. And I heard that she, she's a black woman and she, it's, she's kind of in the wellness space. And I think brave space, and I totally hear everything you're saying, which is so interesting. I think her point is that there's no way to, to guarantee that a safe, a, a someone feels safe because someone's always like brings in, everyone's bringing in their own life, their own life experiences. So if we're trying to create a safe container as a group, we can't say it's a safe space. And the brave space is more willing to show up, willing to be vulnerable, willing to be wrong and willing to learn, I think is the, like for everybody in there. I think that's, that's the intention of it. And I, I could be saying it wrong, but, um, it makes sense. It makes it, sense. It's, 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 it's to get away from that what safe space turns into in white supremacy culture, which is safe for the white people, which is replicating the systemic racism. So I think it's just, it's a, it's a semantic issue that, that you you could, I think you connect to the same emotion behind it, but the, the semantics of it aren't resonating with you, which is the beauty of people being individuals and having, you know what I mean? Um, but also it sounds like a great, I mean, I'm, and you know, courage is my jam. So I get the idea of brave space, but again, it just, for me, it just kind of reinforces the, yeah. the whole idea of, of, yeah. I will, um, I will send you her information, her book. Uh, not that you need to read it, but just so you know where, where I'm getting it from, because I didn't coin yeah, that. I would like to see the context. And yeah. I'll put that in the, um, in the show notes as well. Um, her name is, first name is definitely Mickey, but I, I don't remember her full name. Um, so interesting. All right. Well, we are almost out of time. Um, and I don't want to keep you on this Friday afternoon. I went by quickly. <laughs> it did. It did. And you just, you're stunning. I mean, in be beautifully stunning in the, in the stunning uh -huh. good way. Um, by, by, by who you are and, and, um, you know, you're bringing the work into this space too. And, and, and seeing, 
I just, I learned so much from, from, from what you shared. So thank you for that. Um, how do people find you and work with you and follow you and soak up your brilliance? How can they, um, how can they do those things? I think the quickest way to find me is going to be ivanatore.com at the website. Um, and then from there, um, just follow the rabbit, follow the rabbit. <laughs> Are you have any programs coming up that you're starting or, um, I have a dare to lead, um, uh, dare to lead workshop that's starting on the 23rd of January. Um, dare to lead this, the application of, um, Brene Brown's, um, research, um, in the professional, in the workspace. So you're going to learn about, um, living your values, learning about vulnerability, learning about having hard conversations and giving constructive feedback, learning about how to rise from failure, especially professionally, um, and um, how to create trust, right? How do you create trust in your workspace? And um, so all of the frameworks around um, that work um, are really juicy and um, really, really strong foundationally and, and great for building the skill sets um, of courageous culture and daring leadership. All right, so that's January 23rd and all that's on your website? Yes, it should are be, you, yes. Are you on social media in any way for people to follow you? I am, it's, uh, it's all, uh, I'm not, uh, I, need to, I'm, I need to ramp up my social media use. I haven't really used it a lot lately, but it's all gonna be at Ivana Tor, uh, just my, my, my names combined. Um, yeah, I will say that, you know, just something really quickly. I was doing a self-compassion talk yesterday for the Mindful Healthcare Collective, and somebody asked a question that I feel like um, a lot of immigrants um, uh, and, and people of color, even even white women in general, just anyone who who is other, right, um, uh, in the professional space, and he was asking me about what do you do about this whole idea of having to be twice as good and not being taken seriously? Um, and she was a, she was a woman of color. I think she, uh, I think she was probably from, I think she was either Southeast Asian, but she was Brown anyway. And she was asking about that. And, um, and what comes up from, what came up for me was the idea of unwanted identities, which is that, mm -hmm. right. When people look at you a certain way, there are certain identities they put onto you that, you don't want, right? So being, looking the way you look, right? People either, the unwanted identity is around like, you know, being incompetent or inferior or, you know, not smart enough or, you know, whatever. So spending some time like writing out all of those unwanted identities and then making a list of all the things people are missing when they take a look at, when they're looking at you through the lens of those unwanted identities. So no, people miss that I am fun. I am smart. I'm silly. I am compassionate. I'm a great guitarist and all that. Making that list and then making a commitment to show up as that second list. Because what happens is that when we try to, you know, be perfect and be twice as good and do all of these things because of the racial structures are in place and the system that's in place, what ends up happening is that we feed into that system. And so by choosing to show up authentically and choosing to tell your story and own your story, you help dismantle the system. Yes, it'll be painful because people are seeing you and they'll judge you, but by showing up as you are and telling your story and using your voice, 
is how you dismantle a system. So I say that for all of the idealists out there, the mission-driven people who want to make a difference in the world, you will have to put down that perfectionism and show up as you are because that's how we dismantle the system. So choose to be joyful, choose to be authentic, choose to show up as you really are and do the things that you're here to do because that's how we take down the system. That's the best thing I've ever heard. Thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. That's such a great way to end. Um, Dr. Yvonne Ator, thank you. Thank you. It's from the bottom of my heart. It was such a, a great conversation and so many, so many nuggets. Um, and I will, um, I will uh, share the uh, Netflix, the journey of an African colony and the, the book about uh, brave space. Um, and then of course your website and social media links at the bottom as well. And um, thank you so much. Thank you, Jill. It's been a pleasure. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.